You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 243 of Podcateers. This week, we talk about Melissa and Gavin's experiences checking out Mickey's Mix Magic. We also talk about something new that Pixar is doing called Spark Shorts and why we think this uncommon approach to storytelling is a good thing for the Disney company. Also, do you remember when Disney California Adventure opened? In this episode, we take you down memory lane and tell you about what we all lovingly refer to as DCA 1.0. Before we kick off the episode, I'd like to send a shout out and thanks to the FGP squad for their support in making these episodes of Podcateers possible via their support on Patreon. For more info on how you can become part of the FGP squad, you can head over to podcateers.com FGP. If you hear something you'd like to comment on and you want to join the conversation, you can drop us a message on the blog post for this episode over at podcasters.com 243 or by connecting with us on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter. Just search for Podcasters. If you like to do the YouTube thing, you can also check out our channel. Just search for Podcasters. We'd love it if you take a moment to subscribe and I recommend ringing that little bell icon for notifications whenever new videos are posted. If you're like me and shop on Amazon, you can help us out tremendously by starting off at podcateers.com Amazon before your next purchase. On that page, you'll see a huge Amazon button. I mean, you can't really miss it. If you click it, you'll be taken to Amazon's homepage using our special referral link. And anything you buy may earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon for mentioning them on this podcast. For all of you that are already taking a moment to help us out that way, we would like to say thank you. Finally, have you checked out podcateers.com slash gear? We have some new designs up, including the new Hitchhiking Ghost shirt. Plus, we've extended the promo code from that launch. If you use the code Hitchhike during checkout, you'll receive 10% off your entire order. Okay, let's do this, shall we? This is episode 243 of Podcateers. we're free to talk yeah <laughs> so okay so i mean i don't even know where to start because it feels like so much is happening and so much is going on uh, mel let's let's start with you because you went to villain's day today right i did how was it i decided to stay home because it was raining and i've been working on a lot of home improvement stuff mm-hmm. ah, ah, home improvement stuff <laughs> like six of you got i don't that think joke. so tim and so I didn't get a chance to go. I'm I'm hoping that all this kind of finishes soon because I miss going to the park. Uh, so how was Villains Day? It was a lot of fun. Um, unfortunately, there was rain here and there. Um, I was dressed as Madame Mim. I wore a skirt and I was praying that it was not going to rain as much. Mm. But there was um, a good amount of people, not too many compared to like dapper day or any other day or whatsoever but it was a lot of fun um i you guys may see me on the facebook page for villains day mm-hmm. Ooh, and superstar <laughs> oh well, and on the mark twain they did video so when i found out i'm like i'm running to the front because mm-hmm. the sun was out <laughs> i'm gonna go play and yeah have fun <laughs> that's awesome nice do you think it was the rain that really deterred people from going because 
Villains Day has seemingly grown over the years and there's been a couple times where I've taken photos for the group like in front of the castle or at some of the other places they get together and the groups are super huge oh yeah definitely and we had a group picture behind the castle because of course the front is like meh well the dragon's back there too right I didn't even know that until today Oh, oh, my God. Oh, cool. I haven't seen it. Yeah. It's amazing. It's really, really cool. Um, Very cool. But, yeah, the group was maybe a third hmm. from last year. Oh, so wow. the rain definitely played out. Yeah. Probably the cool temperatures, too. Yeah. Because not only yeah. was it wet, it was actually cold, too. I had layers, too. So, I yeah, yeah it was really cold. Mm-hmm. It's what happens when this polar vortex thing is happening. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you gather 100 Disney villains in one place. True that. True that. <laughs> and can I just say uh, kudos for representing Sword in the Stone? Yeah. I don't think it's a film that many people <laughs> represent or even have in the back of their head at all, if ever. Yeah. And she's the best character from that film, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. Easy. Like, I always felt that movie kind of dragged until the moment Mad Madam Mim arrives. And then that movie's awesome. Yeah, That's she's awesome. sparky, and I, I love it. I mean, I love how she's just nuts. <laughs> yeah, she's very nutty. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, yeah, there's so much to talk about. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I, I needed to ask you, Gavin. I haven't seen it yet, but sure. you experienced Mickey's Mixed Magic for the first time. <gasps> I did. And Tell Mel, us. you've seen it, right? <laughs> I have. Okay, so at this point, I'm the only one that hasn't seen it, but mm-hmm. your reactions mm-hmm. from watching it at this point? Um, two thumbs, enthusiastically way up. Yeah. This I was... <laughs> I. We all know that I'm not big on waiting around for the nighttime shows. Like, I would just rather be on an attraction. But I'm, I was there at the perfect time. I was getting right off of Star Tours at the perfect time. So I just walked right over to Main Street, got a sweet spot, and watched it. And I am so glad that I did. It is incredible. It's so cool. It's such a simple concept, but the way they pull it off. I saw it on Main Street. I you, I've understand you can see it from Small World and the Rivers of America as well. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But on Main Street... I was so impressed with the simple concept and the way that they pulled it off and the use of bubbles and lasers was epic. It was so cool. And they do like cool dance DJ remixes of Disney songs. And I really liked the way that they remixed them. And I really liked a couple of the song choices that they chose that were atypical of these shows. Uh Like, of course, they threw in a little Let It Go, of course. They threw in a little uh, Jungle Book stuff Uh and, uh, you know, kind of the usual suspects. But there's a couple. I don't know if we want to spoil anything for people that haven't seen it, but there's a couple in there that... I was so pumped that they had one, especially I, I just <laughs> lost it when I saw it. I was like, yes, this is amazing. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's, it's something from the nineties. I'll just give you a clue there. And I love that they're bringing all this nineties stuff back. You know, we've got the nineties night around the corner. We've got Renaissance films being remade into live action. So it's like so many things from my, you know, youth are being celebrated again and that's really exciting so anyway uh, mickey mickey's mix magic is 
awesome. I totally recommend it. Oh my god, I'm totally. so much more excited to see it now. Yeah. Also, I I've seen the monorails now with the Mickey on them and yeah. they are so much better than the Pixar ones. Like it looks like they did a real full concept for these. They look like they were designed as Mickey monorails. Uh-huh. Like like so, that's their natural state. It doesn't look like an add-on in any way. It looks like it, their natural state. Yeah. Oh, they look baller and I would be happy keeping those. Until the 75th anniversary. Like, those are awesome. They're so good. So, I'm impressed. So what happened was they heard the episode of Podcateers where we spoke <laughs> ill of the stickers from uh, Pixar Fest. And they, they decided, have. you know what? We just cannot disappoint the Podcateers anymore. Let's just really right. put some effort into these Mickey Monrails. Mm-hmm. Is that is that right. what I'm gathering from this conversation? I, I think that is clearly what happened. Okay. Sounds and like it. And you're welcome... Walt Disney Imagineering. And you're welcome, everybody that has to see the monorails. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mel, where have you seen Mickey's Mixed Magic from? Because I know you like to see it in different spots. I actually got to see it on uh, Main Street by our usual spot by the Penny Arcade. Okay. And I actually got to see it yesterday at Small World. Oh, and okay. I was literally up to you know where the entrance is and there's that rail mm-hmm. you could stand behind there and it was just perfect Ooh. view are you talking about where the parades come out of yes okay okay yes but you're you're along the side of the uh entrance okay i actually got to see a lot more than what i did on main street because i was looking all over and i guess it's because i was so excited and there was so much happening which is great mm-hmm. but to see the different projections and to see more of it was like really awesome Mm -hmm. and i mean yes there was the fireworks but it i just love watching what what they did that in the music you just want to fist pump you want to jump you want to dance so good did you see so yeah that's what i was going to say that that's that's really interesting because i forgot that there was even fireworks possible with this show because i saw it on a weeknight and there was no fireworks and i didn't feel like it suffered at all i didn't think it needed it because it was so cool uh i I, it here's the other interesting thing where i was was at the end of main street where the main street meets the hub right between coke corner and the photoshop is where i was and when i arrived i noticed that everybody was facing the train station not the castle so i just followed suit and that's the way to look like that you know, I don't yeah. know if it's going to change once the castle's unfurled from its refurbishment. But right now, like looking down Main Street from the hub towards the train station is the way to look because that's yeah. how you see everything. And if you can be in that little end quadrant, it's amazing to see the lasers coming all the way down Main Street. It's so incredible. So at Small World Mel. Is it more about the projections and less about the lasers or like I can't picture how they do that because it's it's done so much in a corridor kind of scenario with Main Street. So I don't know how it plays out at Small World. Basically on the attraction itself is just projections Mm -hmm. Um, down the mall. They do have the effects except for the lasers. Oh. Oh, okay. So I was watching and then I turned around when let it go happen Mm -hmm. it's kind of obvious so 
I looked because I, I was curious to see if they did the effects. And they did. But on Main Street, you get the extra, I would say, the extra touch of the lasers. Okay. But That's what I was curious about. I want to see it now facing the train station. That's a different it's, perspective. It blew my mind. I never faced that way during a show because, you know, they're always, you know, centered around the castle. And even right. if there's projections and things to look at on Main Street, it's still your focal point was always kind of drawn towards the castle. This, it, that's not the case. That's not even the purpose of this show. It's this kind of dance environment with lights in the sky and i mean it's almost hard to explain if you haven't seen it it's it's unlike anything they've done and i mean i the 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 biggest uh compliment this show gets is that gavin is so pumped about it <laughs> because I don't get pumped about That's those kind true. of things. That's true. The fact that, that you true. actually made an effort to go stand there and watch it, and from the sound of it, that you're willing to do it again. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It's good. That that means that it's super well done, because Gavin's not about parades, and Gavin's not about fireworks or nighttime shows. <laughs> if you've listened to the podcast long enough, you know that anytime that comes up, Gavin's like, that's prime attraction writing time. <laughs> right. It is. It is Famous though. Gavin words. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That is cool. I guess my goal is to watch it in all three locations. You know, because the Rivers of mm-hmm. America obviously is the other location where uh, the the party is being held, so to speak. Right. So I'm hoping that all the 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 home renovation stuff that we're doing right now is done soon, because I am jonesing to hit the park. Uh, yeah. My wife and my kids, I think, have gone a little bit more than I have in the last month or two at this point. So I think they've gotten a little bit more Disney than I have. I, I know that the last time that Lynette went, she was hanging out with you and our mm-hmm. good friend Jill. You guys had like the passion purple drinks at Cove Bar and everything. They and did. I nice. didn't. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I did. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I just miss going to the park and uh, I hope I can make it down there soon. Uh, also, if you guys follow us on Instagram, we posted that there was going to be a celebration of the Lion King coming to California Adventure later this year. And from the announcement that was held, it looks like it's primarily going to be a troop of performers walking around the park, doing some songs and uh, just acting out scenes from The Lion King. Uh, It it looks like they're going to be doing some stories, some songs, some dancing. This is exciting. You know, The Lion King is pretty iconic. We've always seen Simba and other characters from the film in various parades but i don't think they've ever at least not at dca they haven't really had anything geared towards the lion king i mean i know we had the the parade stuff at disneyland before but Mm -hmm. uh is there a bunch of lion king merchandise already starting to spawn in the parks because of this dude it's all over the place and it's awesome because it's yeah, it's uh, it's all like original 1994 Lion King looking kind of stuff. Ooh. And I don't know if you guys remember, but The Lion King is my second favorite Disney movie. Yes. It's my favorite movie that's come out in my lifetime from Disney. And it's the movie that I saw 18 times in the theater. It is a 
huge favorite of mine. I, I consider it a modern masterpiece. So any celebration of the Lion King, I'm all about. And there's tons of merchandise right now. It seems like they're really cashing in on the 90s craze lately. And, you know, with their upcoming 90s night and with all this merchandise that I'm seeing, there's lots of retro stuff. Even a lot of the Mickey stuff is retro to look like it's that, like, early 90s with some hot colors and, you know, cool retro, like, Trapper Keeper kind of designs, which I totally dig. Um, Even to the point where they have slap bracelets at the park. That's crazy cool. Yes, freaking slap bracelets. (laughs) I had to clean my ears for a second because I thought you said slap bracelets. And then I realized you said slap bracelets. (laughs) (laughs) It's nuts, man. I I love it, though. I really love it. I mean, I guess the the positive, if they really are gearing towards doing a lot more 90s stuff, is that we may finally start to see some love for some of those – cartoons like in the Disney afternoon like Tailspin mm. and Rescue oh. Rangers and DuckTales, Darkwing Duck Yes, you know that we There's... haven't traditionally seen yeah. in the parks and I know that we've talked about some of the merchandise that seems to trickle out but it's primarily um, like female shirts that come out and there isn't like for kids or men uh, so the, the pickings are very very small when it comes to uh, those properties so if they really are going to do 90s i hope they start doing more of that stuff as well dude i can tell you that today i saw mugs for darkwing duck tailspin and (gasps) ducktales i saw a pair of socks that was (gasps) ducktales um i Uh feel like i saw a couple (laughs) other things that disney afternoon stuff is coming back too uh merchandise wise oh my god you know so i think a lot of this too is maybe them positioning and really getting a hype for stuff that might be available on Disney Plus coming up. You know, like that's a lot of the hope is that the classic Disney Channel television stuff and the Disney Afternoon yeah. ABC stuff would be available there because it's not available anywhere else. You know, it they've isn't. really right. abandoned their TV properties. You know, once they finish airing, if they don't syndicate them on the Disney Channel, like you're out of luck, man. They never put all that stuff on DVD or even VHS back in the day. So maybe this is all signs that these are things that are going to be on that subscription service. Yeah. I hope so. Cause man, I, I would, I would binge watch all of them, yeah. you know, and you're right. There's nothing on, on DVD or anything to, for us to watch or revisit. So gosh, that would be awesome if yeah. this ends up being on there. Cause that's the true leverage they have, right. With that, um, streaming service market is that mm-hmm. they've got this cache of properties that nobody has and that if they're willing to put that up on that service then that's going to be the value of subscribing to that right yep. it's not necessarily the big movies which people go and see in the theater and if they like it they're going to buy it anyway you know so i i yeah. think that's where they need to cash in that's cool man that makes total sense i hadn't thought about it from that perspective, but it, it makes complete sense that they would want to do that because you're right. The, the very few things that have come out on DVD have always been these collections of like best ofs, you know, it's mm-hmm. never like full seasons or full series of things. And yeah. whenever they experimented with putting out the seasons of stuff, like they did the first season of rescue Rangers on DVD and then they never completed it. Right. Like it just hung there. 
And yeah. it was always baffling to me why they wouldn't complete that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I totally dig that. I, I love the fact that they're kind of bringing all this back because I, I'm, I'm with you, Mel. I would mm-hmm. sit there and I would binge through all that stuff. Gummy bears and yes. Darkwing Duck and, oh, it's so good. <laughs> good times. Yeah, <laughs> such good stuff. Nice. All right. Well, uh, before we continue on with the episode, I want to send out a quick reminder to all of you that this episode of Podcasters is brought to you in part by the FGP Squad, our podcast fairy godparents. For all of you that don't know, the FGP Squad, or our podcast fairy godparents, is an amazing group of listeners that have gotten together and help us out with a monthly contribution via Patreon. If you want a little bit more information on how you can become part of the FGP Squad and be a part of that exclusive, exclusive club... You can head on over to podcasters.com slash FGP for more info. Plus, if you sign up for a contribution of at least $5 or more, you will also get the exclusive Fairy Godparent button as a thank you for your support. So to all of the FGP squad, you guys rock! Wow, thank wow, you wow, for wow. your support. <laughs> totally. <laughs> don't, don't do any type of music that once this episode ends up on YouTube will get us a copyright strike. Like when I <laughs> decided to show you the preview of the music that I quote unquote thought was going to be a part of Mickey's Mix Magic. And then we got hit with a copyright strike. So Hashtag <clears throat> was nailed that. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm loving the fact that Disney's reveling in the 90s right now. But I also love the fact that Disney is always moving forward. They're looking towards the future. So on that note, this last week, Pixar released a statement and a new short. And it's basically they were announcing a new program called Spark Shorts. Spark Shorts is a new wing of their short production uh, program, which is going to allow, you know, younger filmmakers and directors and artists to create shorts in the Pixar tradition, uh, which has helped develop so many artists in the past. And it's a tradition I love and have always supported and been a huge fan of. So they announced that they're going to do this new series called Spark Shorts. And the first one was released uh, simultaneously and it's called Pearl. (laughs) And it's awesome. It really really is. And it's really interesting because with this new series, it's very apparent with this first film that they're allowing these filmmakers a little more freedom. You know, they're not tied up with that Disney Pixar box that they typically are, you know, so there there are a couple of more adult friendly jokes in it and references that, you know, may not be for the (laughs) young, impressionable kids. But uh, this film is fantastic. It's a really, really interesting piece that deals with, um, you know, sexism in the workplace. It deals with um, inclusion and judgment, um, you know, judging books by their covers Mm -hmm. um, or balls of yarn by their colors. (laughs) It's it's a really, really interesting uh, idea. So... If you're at home or if you're on your phone like and, and sitting down, not driving, go ahead and pause here. Go to podcateers.com slash 243. It'll be in the blog for this episode. And it's you'll, you'll enjoy it. I promise you'll enjoy it. It's amazing. What did you guys think about it? 
This was the first short that I didn't feel sad or wanted to cry, and I laughed. Yeah, this it's was the really good. Opposite. Huh. So I applaud Pixar for doing that. I mean, I think there's others where they don't necessarily pull at the heartstrings. I mean, that's that is kind of yeah. their calling card. But I agree. This one, it's just more about okay, we're along for this weird, wacky ride. Let's right. go. Right, it's a different feel. Yeah, I agree. What do you think, Hazen? It almost begins to anger you at times, and then you feel vindicated with these tiny victories along the way. Yeah, I agree with that. What was interesting is, so I'm gonna. (laughs) So for the listeners, here's what happened. Uh, Gavin sent us this the information for this short a couple of days ago, but. I've been pretty busy and I hadn't had a chance to watch it. And so he said, okay, look, before we start recording, you have to watch this. <laughs> the commentary, I was trying to listen to the short while I was watching it, but the commentary from Mel and Gavin was, <laughs> I think, just as uh, funny to me because I didn't realize how expressive I was being at certain times. <laughs> but there was some key points in Pearl that just, I mean, my jaw dropped Yep. You know, the language that was being used and just the how forward it was. And like Gavin said, there was some, I would say, dicier jokes. I mean, Disney has tiptoed into innuendo throughout their history. But, I mean, this was blatant. I mean, it was right. just there in front of you. There was no tiptoeing around it. It was right in your face and i think that caught me so off guard (laughs) (laughs) yep as it did all of us yeah i loved it because it was almost like because of what's been going on at the disney company the last year and because of what happened to pixar this was a direct response to all of that you know this was their way of saying this is what happens and we're not going to tolerate it anymore. Yeah. We are a yeah. place of inclusion and we are a place that's going to work on treating everybody the same and treating everybody fairly. And yeah. that's what I ultimately took out of this short. I love that message. You know, mm-hmm. I love how it all wraps up at the end and ah, it's just so good. I'm glad that they're doing this. Like Gavin said, if you're watching with the little ones, you may want to tuck them away in bed and then watch it first before, and you can decide whether or not you want them to see it. Uh, where are we going to see the rest of these? Because haven't six or eight or something like that been announced? Yeah, so six of them have been announced. Um, the next one called Smash and Grab, uh, which is I'm very excited about because it has a bit of a sci-fi bent to it. Uh, mm. and it comes out uh, tomorrow, so February 11th. Uh, so we may want to just go ahead and put that one in the blog post as well. Um, and then the next one after that is called um, Kit Bull, about the friendship between a kitten and a pit bull. Oh, that nice. one, I think, comes out the following Monday. Those three have been kind of like announced as like coming out now-ish. And then they all say at the end that they'll be available on Disney Plus when that kicks off. Nice. My fear is that they're going to migrate and exclusively be on Disney Plus, but right now they're on the Disney Pixar YouTube channel. Uh, they have three more announced after that. You can see all of this um, online. They have one called Float, one called Loop, and one called Wind. And they all look 
totally different from one another. So, you know, they're really being creative with these things. And yeah, it looks like it's going to be a, a new ongoing program. So I feel like we can expect more and more content moving forward. You know, other studios have done this already. And it's, I feel like this is one area where Pixar is actually following trends, which is interesting because they're usually the trendsetter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm glad they're doing it because I think that's one of the most dynamic, interesting and artistic things that Pixar does is their shorts. You know, I, I think that their shorts have put put them on the map almost as much as their feature films. So right. I love that they're expanding this idea and I will watch everyone with glee i know yeah i'm looking forward to the rest of them i think what i might do is in order to make it a little bit easier is it just in case people listen to this you know a a couple Mm -hmm. weeks after is i'll create a youtube playlist and i'll insert the playlist into the blog post so that as we add the other episodes that uh, come out or the other shorts that uh, are released we'll add Mm -hmm. them to the playlist and that way they can just cycle through cool I like that. I think that might be the easiest way. Yeah. You know, you you, you mentioned a minute ago, I kind of wanted to go back to it, about the environment at Pixar and and how this may reflect some of those changes and ideas that have happened at Pixar. They also have a behind-the-scenes video that they released with director Kristen Lester, uh, who created this concept and this story. And it's really good. And it, you know, it's, it's really kind of almost autobiographical uh, to her experience, you know, coming up in animation and early on, you know, she talks about how it was such a male dominated industry at most of the jobs she had. And when she came to Pixar, it was the first chance she actually, she actually got to work on any animation projects with a team of women or with a team that had women on it. And, uh, you know, that's a very powerful thing, you know, to know that, there are still sectors of industries that, you know, there's not diversity. And, you know, I I think especially in creative fields, diversity is so beneficial. So it's, it's just cool that they are making statements like this, which I think this film ultimately has a really positive statement about, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea of inclusion and more ideas are better than one idea. And, you know, breaking down walls of, you know, comfort and stereotype. I, I, I think that's all uh, applause worthy. And, I, and oh, yeah. I, I'm just really encouraged by it. Also, I think these animators, they're all probably younger or newer, at least younger at Pixar. The animation is fantastic in this movie. Like the yeah. textures in the yarn are yeah. insane. And the people that haven't watched this are thinking, why are they mentioning yarn? Like what? What? Yeah, you and you'll get it. it. Like watch it. You'll get what I'm talking it. about. But I just, I, I was so impressed by it. Everything about it was great. Um, you know, since you mentioned that, there's a part of me that's really happy that they went with the facial animations that they went with for that character versus Uh trying to mold it in somehow, because I feel that that would have been super creepy. This added a layer of comedic sympathy Mm -hmm. for the character where you see the innocence of the character entering this world, not knowing what they're getting into 
and slowly morphing into a character or person that they've never wanted or intended to be. Yeah. You know, so it's it's just so good. You guys got to go watch it. I mean, yeah. I, I think the more we talk about it, the more we're going to give stuff away. So I we just have to stop. <laughs> we just go watch it. Yeah. Go watch it. Absolutely. And then once you're done watching it, join the conversation. Head over to the blog post for the episode, podcateers.com slash 243. Or join us on social media. We're at Podcateers on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. Tell us what you guys thought after you guys watched it. How did you feel compared to other Pixar shorts? And have you ever been in a situation like this? Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. You know, how many people connect with this on a different level you know, when I watch shorts and when I watch these films, I tend to connect with them on a level like where it reminds me of my kids or it reminds me of my wife or, you know, very infrequently do I feel that it connects to a workplace, you know, when, when I watch these things. But I think that's a really interesting thing. So if if ever any of you have felt you were in a situation like this, we'd love to mm-hmm. hear from you and we'll share your thoughts on an upcoming episode. Totally. Mm-hmm. Also, since the next one comes out, um, you know, before this episode comes out, and we've told everybody to watch the next one as well, we can talk about that one next week and talk freely. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, that's true. That's talk true. about it. So that, that, that could be fun as well. Very true. All right. Well, um, I guess we should kind of uh, shift into uh, our main topic for this episode. Let's what do, you guys do think? it. Yeah, I'm sure. excited. Sweet. Well, before we do that, Gavin, I just want a, an update. How's your how's your Audible book coming? It's your weekly Audible check-in. <laughs> it's going well. It, I, I've had an avalanche of podcasts to get through over the last couple weeks, so I've kind of slowed on the book. But I have tuned in a couple times this past week. I, I love knowing that it's there and I can pick up with my story right where I left off. It's got this awesome kind of automatic like bookmark feature that always gets you right back into the book right where you were. And I think that's really cool. Um, but no, my Audible experience so far has been nothing but amazing. I've enjoyed every minute of it. I like... Uh, I've got a whole list, wish list of upcoming books that I want to listen to. And I feel like the whole experience is very easy and intuitive. So I'm a huge proponent of it. I know that Hazen is. I know that Melissa is. We all love Audible. And uh, we encourage you to definitely give it a shot. We're making it very easy because there's a a link on our website that you can use, or you can go to audibletrial.com slash podcateers, get a free 30-day trial, get a free book that's yours to keep even if you cancel, but you're not going to cancel. Come on. You're not going to cancel. You're going to keep it forever and ever and ever. You're going to love it. You're going to enjoy books while you commute wherever you commute or while you sit at home and knit. I don't know. Whatever you're doing. Yeah. Books are there ready to be listened to. So yeah, give it a shot. I love Audible. And I just want to quickly add something that I don't think many people know about Audible. And because it's an Amazon company, I know that there's a lot of people that have e-readers or e-reader apps on their phone, like the Kindle app. Like that's one of the apps that I have. I no longer have a physical e-reader. I just use the app on my phone. Mm -hmm. But because Audible is now an Amazon company, 
Anytime that you own an Audible book, you also get a discount on the ebook version. So if you like to actually read the books versus listening when you're not in the car, you have the option of purchasing the ebook version at a discount. And because of a service that they call WhisperSync, it'll automatically track where you are in both of those apps. What? So if you leave off in one specific spot in Audible, WhisperSync will sync it to your Kindle app and it will just take you to where you left off. And it's one of the coolest features that I so... think many people don't know about. So give it a shot. You're not going to regret it. So I just smart. learned something new. That's yeah. so I love cool. It. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Okay. All right. So as you guys know, this month we have decided that we're going to talk a little bit about the history of Disney California Adventure. In this particular episode, we're going to talk about DCA 1.0. And I think it's only fitting because this last week, Disney California Adventure celebrated an anniversary because Mm -hmm. it was opened on February 8th, 2001. And, uh, yeah, that was a thing that happened. DCA can vote now. (laughs) It can. (laughs) So I guess to kick this all off, I have a quote for you guys. I totally should have memorized it, but then I thought, eh, I'm just going to write it down. So the quote says, To all who believe in the power of dreams, welcome. Disney's California Adventure opens its golden gates to you. Here we pay tribute to the dreamers of the past, the native people, explorers, immigrants, aviators, entrepreneurs, and entertainers who built the Golden State. And we salute a new generation of dreamers who are creating the wonders of tomorrow, from the silver screen to the computer screen, from the fertile farmlands to the far reaches of space. Disney's California Adventure celebrates the richness and the diversity of California, its land, its people, its spirit, and above all, the dreams that it continues to inspire. So those words were spoken by Michael Eisner during the dedication of what was then known as Disney's California Adventure Park. And I say then known because eventually they ended up dropping the possessive and they just made it Disney California Adventure. The park itself was met with a lot of criticism when it opened, which I'll get into later. But Disney has, or I mean, at least I hope they have, uh, learned from the follies of the first version of Disneyland's sister park. Uh, I won't be getting into the restructuring of the park, which we tend to call DCA 2.0. We'll talk about that in next week's episode. What I'm going to talk to you about is kind of what led to the park's creation and why it failed. So, you guys ready? Yeah. Oh, man, I'm so ready for this bumpy ride. (laughs) (laughs) And bumpy it is. (laughs) All right, let's do this. So, ever since Michael Eisner took helm of the Disney company in the 1980s, he wanted to expand the reach of the Disney resorts. This led to parks being built all around the world. And in 1990, now Disney legend Jack Lindquist was the first president of Disneyland. 
you know, and, and he was one of the major supporters of the idea of expanding the Disneyland Resort. And it really wasn't taken lightly because, I mean, this was coming from Jack Lindquist, right? This is a dude who knows his stuff. Jack was a marketing genius. I mean, he came up with stuff like Disney Dollars and Grad Night, New Year's Eve at the Park, just to name several. So eventually, that idea would become Westcott. The Epcot of the West. <laughs> Wasn't really called the Epcot of the West, but, you know, it was really called Westcott. <laughs> now, some of you listening may remember that back in episode 233, we talked about how Disney was involved with the Queen Mary. And the story of DCA is actually tied into that story. You can go back and listen to the episode, but if you haven't uh, had a chance to check it out, you can head over to podcasters.com slash 233. Uh, but the TLDR is that in the middle of the 1990s, around 1995 to be exact, there were two options on the table to expand Disney's footprint in the theme park industry. Option one was creating Westcott, which would be built just in front of the Disneyland Resort. The other option was to create a theme park in Long Beach, California called Disney Sea. Challenges like the distance from Disneyland proper and the cost of infrastructure changes to the city of Long Beach ultimately led the Disney company to go with the park in front of Disneyland. The problem was that Euro Disney was hemorrhaging money and the idea of building Westcott was in serious jeopardy. Westcott was expected to cost $3 billion, but it was money that they just didn't have available to spend because of how money was being moved to Euro Disney to keep it afloat. And of course, Euro Disney went on to be okay. It became Disneyland Paris, but that's a story for another episode. Uh, so in an effort to save the Westcott project, legend says that Eisner and Imagineers held a three-day summit in Aspen, Colorado. Because, you know, skiing really clears people's heads. Right. To come up with a plan to move forward. Their decision was to build a park based around the state of California, which included uh, aspects of history, culture, and landmarks from across the state. Because why wouldn't you? I mean, it's not like we live here or anything. Right. But, I mean, whatevs. <laughs> uh, more importantly, they were happy with what they came up with because they didn't have to cancel the project and it would only cost them just over $600 million. Now, that's a huge jump from $3 billion. Yeah. So, as you can imagine, that was the beginning of many mistakes. You know, I'm not going to call them mistakes. Let's call them learning opportunities for the Disney company. Yeah. Yeah, let's go with that. So learning opportunity number two, because, you know, number one was thinking you could build a true Disney theme park for around $600 million. Uh, then Disneyland president Paul Pressler decided that he didn't need Imagineering for this project. In order to create this new park, he decided that he was going to rely heavily on staff that was in charge of merchandising and retail. Because that's what you do when you're designing a new park. Alrighty then. Their idea, super simple. Create an adult-oriented park just like Epcot with shopping and dining experiences instead of focusing on the attractions. Because, I mean, it, it's going to be for adults. Right. I mean, what could go wrong? Right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. This right? this idea. I read about this, too. And when I, when I, I didn't know much about the history of 
DCA, you know, because I didn't live here during then. And my first visit was in 2011. So I didn't, I didn't know much about the early days. And when I read some of this stuff, like, are you kidding me? And Mm -hmm. it makes so much sense. You know, it makes perfect sense when you see some of the original footage and pictures and, and read some of the, uh, criticisms of the park early on, like, yeah, it was, of course, like, like, like what we do with armchair Imagineering is like, we, we know we're amateurs and we're, we know we're pie in the sky, but like, if they actually came to us and said, Hey, will you guys like design this land for us and, or this park for us we'd be like uh don't we want to get professionals to do that yeah Yeah. exactly we'll throw some ideas in but really (laughs) i mean uh we'll give you a basis but (laughs) 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 oh boy your drawings (laughs) i know i know buckle up and so you're just just hearing the story part right you're just hearing the story part i know so anyway considering how great of an idea that was (laughs) The project broke ground on January 22nd, 1998, and a year later, uh, in October, the DCA Preview Center opened at Disneyland. So that area basically gave you an exclusive look at, it it was an opportunity that gave you an exclusive look to check out everything that was going to be done on the side of what many guests knew as the Disneyland parking lot for decades. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, DCA would be accompanied by an area much like Universal's CityWalk in Hollywood called Downtown Disney and a new Four Diamond Hotel called Disney's Grand Californian Hotel. So after all the construction went on, DCA, yeah. The preview center, where was that? Was it in the Opera House? Yeah, it was on Main Street. Okay. I. Wow. I read a mention of that, but I I'd never seen or heard anything about it before, so I didn't know like where it was. Like, was it kind of like the Blue Sky Cellar? Like they set it up kind of like that with models and stuff. Uh, they I think they set up. I never got a chance to see it. I just oh, okay. saw a couple of pictures and mentions of it. So uh, there was just concept art and uh, a few things that were outlining exactly how the park was going to be laid out. Did you ever get to see that, Melissa? No, I didn't get it. I didn't get okay. a chance to. Man, it's a bummer. None of us saw that. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So, DCA finally opened after all the construction on February 8th, 2001. And the layout included four districts, 15 restaurants, and 22 shows and attractions, he said, adding a question mark. (laughs) 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 About a week after the park opened, the Los Angeles Times wrote an article titled The Most Jam-Packed Theme Park on Earth, also with a question mark. (laughs) And in it, the author stated, senior Disney officials acknowledge that there will be days when California Adventure will have to turn patrons away, particularly in the first weeks after the park opens, during spring break and again in the summer. And, of course, it happened, and everyone was happy. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) And by actually happened, I'm totally kidding, because it totally didn't happen. Psych. (laughs) Yeah, totally. What actually happened was that the attendance that year was way lower than they expected, mainly because there was a lot of negative reviews from guests. 
Some of the complaints were that the Hollywood Pictures backlot didn't really focus on making movies. There weren't really any attractions for children. The abundance of stores and restaurants. Um, the theme was horrible. Like the overall theme of the park was horrible. The attractions were considered off-the-shelf attractions. And most uh, important of all, it lacked Disney magic. Uh-huh. You know, Disney yeah. really wasn't represented. While Disneyland ended up seeing 12.3 million guests go through its turnstiles, DCA opened to only 5 million visitors in 2001. The whole year, 5 million visitors. Uh, And it's funny because I don't don't know if you guys ever had a chance to see it, but uh, about a month or so before the park opened, the Disney Channel had this special for California Adventure where they had uh, Richard Kind. He was Molt in A Bug's Life, and then he played a couple of characters in Cars and Cars 2. Yeah, he was the minivan, right? Yeah, he was the van. And the other – I forgot the other person's name. The point is that they had this special, and they were walking around uh, California Adventure trying to look for the quote-unquote big cheese – and the whole time they're like, oh, Mr. Michael Eisner, you know, called us here. We need to meet with Michael Eisner, the big cheese. You know, at the end of the special, spoiler alert, <laughs> the big cheese that they're supposed to meet with is Mickey because, you know, he's the boss. Right. right? But, I mean, it was a horrible special. <laughs> like, every time they went to commercials, uh, it, a young Corey Burton can be heard announcing throughout the episode and you can hear him saying will our security guards find our vips tune in after the commercials to see if they find them running around the park and stuff like that it was just super cheesy (laughs) nice uh i'm gonna i'm gonna find it and i'm gonna put it in the blog post for the episode i want to see this yeah me too (laughs) it's absolutely magical it's one of those train wrecks you just can't like look away from (laughs) that's awesome yeah uh, so, yeah, so attendance was so poor that first year that it prompted Disney to do something that we don't see very often, if ever, and that was to lower the cost of admission to the park. What? <gasps> Ooh, they should I revisit know, I, that I, idea. That idea is I actually smart. I knew you were going to react that way. Wow. Now, <laughs> I, I knew you were going to react with that gasp, but really it wasn't a crazy drop. It was like $10. Hey, you know, so. I'll take it's it. But, but – but the fact that the cost went down really showed that they were trying to get people in the park. You know, it was a desperation move that we don't see a company like Disney pull yeah. in situations like this. Surveys that they that they took that year reported that only about 20% of the visitors were satisfied with what they were getting out of the price admission. And many of them complained that why would they have to pay the same admission as they do for Disneyland when there's no Disney magic, there's no attractions for kids. There's way more restaurants and these shops that just are horrible, you know, in comparison to just going to Disneyland. And that's where you see the big difference in the 12.3 million versus the 5 million that, that first year. Uh, So if you've never experienced DCA 1.0, never fear. You don't need a time machine. I'm going to walk you through it right now. (laughs) We're going to start in the front of the park. Uh, Many of you have probably seen that very iconic photo because upon glancing the entrance of the park, the focal point was these large letters that spelled out California. Mm -hmm. And behind that, there was this 
gorgeous ceramic mural that at the time was the largest ceramic mural in the world and it spanned both sides of the entrance of the park. In the middle there was a replica of the Golden State Bridge which the monorail would pass through which always confused me because I always felt that there should be a stop there you know just like a quick stop where people could get into Mm -hmm. the park but I mean whatever I didn't design it marketing people did Uh, (laughs) and right smack in the center stood the now infamous sun metal icon that sat on a fountain that generated waves because, you know, California. Because, you know, (laughs) beaches and stuff. Right. So So the idea was for it to look like a giant postcard. So if you stood in the front of Disneyland Park and looked over at California Adventure, it was supposed to remind you of a, like, Visit California type postcard. Mm -hmm. But the scale of it was something that most people guests missed when they looked over at it they just kind of saw the big california letters but didn't see the picture overall so it was kind Mm. of a fail overall the the, when you walked into the park the sunshine plaza was supposed to be this modern day type of main street usa uh which uh was okay i mean but i mean it was just really poorly themed shops But the thing that really shined to me was the replica of California's Golden Zephyr train. And it was technically also the entrance to several eateries. But nonetheless, I think because I'm a train fan myself, it was just an amazing sight. I would love. I don't don't know what that is. The Golden Zephyr? Yeah. Oh, so it was a replica of the Golden Zephyr train, and as the where the doors opened, it simulated that you were walking into the trains, but you were technically walking into the stores. Oh. It was really cool. I remember that. So, yeah, uh, that was possibly the best part about the Sunshine Plaza. Didn't they also used to play Beach Boys music in there? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. They sure did. Okay. Because when I came sure the did. very first year in 2011, uh, Buena Vista Street was still under construction, and they still had that old music playing. So I do remember hearing the Beach Boys in there. I was like, oh, this is groovy. I like this. Well, you would say that because you're a Beach Boys fan. Yes. But, exactly. I mean, I think non-Beach Boys fans would hear that and would wonder... Why is this happening? Why are we hearing this? Why are we not hearing Disney music? Well, to be fair, though, it's celebrating California, and they're probably California's most famous band, I would I say. Remember, yeah. I remember hearing that and the Mamas and the Papas playing. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. California Dreamin'. Very cool. I dig yeah. it. Yeah. That was also a big part of, of being in the Sunshine Plaza. Very yep. cool. So over on the on the left hand side, of course, we had the Hollywood backlot, as we as we kind of know it today. Not much has changed in that area uh, since its inception. You know, you have the animation building, which which is cool. You know, it, it's pretty much the same thing as it was, with the exception of a couple of the exhibits inside, and the fact that. Uh, there was some updates made along the way, which I'll talk about shortly. But, I mean, really, what stood out was how horrible Superstar Limo was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for for everyone that's heard the stories and the fable of Superstar Limo, oh, it's true. It is. I think there's a couple of videos on YouTube where you can see the entire attraction. Yep. I will pull one of those videos and put it in the blog post for the episode because it it is 
too it's something special to see and look in all fairness i i don't want to fully blame disney for this one because i think they were in a bind because the attraction was supposed to be like paparazzi following you around the hollywood area but because of what ended up happening with princess diana they had to quickly jump into gear and change it from this whole paparazzi aspect because they didn't want it to be commentary or be in bad taste because of what happened to her. So they changed it all into this like weird attraction where you're supposed to be going to an award ceremony. And along the way, you spot celebrities, mainly from ABC shows. I mean, because, you know, that's what you do. You plug your stuff. Uh, so... I mean, as horrible as it was, the fact that they even pulled off an attraction in such a short amount of time, considering how quickly they had to revamp the idea Mm -hmm. because of what happened, Mm -hmm. I don't want to give them a complete fail on this one. I know people may cringe at that, but I mean, look, they were in a bind and they did the best they could. Could they have gone back and fixed it? Yeah, they could have, and they did. I mean, Superstar Limo was such a beloved attraction that it closed 11 months after it opened. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they totally fixed it. Oh, man. The bad thing was that after it closed, that building was just was just kind of dormant. You know, it was, it was a dark building, and that was horrible. So, yeah, so the Hollywood area had that, and then it had the Animation Academy or the Animation Building, uh, and, of course, the ABC Soap Opera Bistro, because who doesn't want to step into their favorite soap opera and have a meal with people pretending to be characters from those soap operas? Unbelievable. Right? This is something I regret not seeing. Gosh, I mean, me too. darn it. <laughs> it's like... It's I, al- I kind of do, too. It's almost like they have had spent decades creating parks for families and and kids and had no idea what it meant to cater to adults like really mm-hmm. yeah. it's like i don't know it's like a a kid writing a civil war romance novel like you would have no idea yeah. like no clue where to start that's like how off this sounds you know yeah i i don't it's so weird yeah, the whole concept was really like even not knowing how to how to gear it towards adults, it, it feels that they were very short sighted in the adults that they were trying to cater to, and they were trying to cater to the adults that primarily were watching TV between the hours of ten AM and four PM. Right. Uh-huh. You know, so, so weird. It's it's really strange. It's also a weird choice to create an attraction like Superstar Limo where it's all a very narrow slice of contemporary uh, celebrities because if there's anything that's fickle in this world, it's celebrity. And Mm -hmm. most celebrity is very temporary. And if you're not dealing with tried and true icons of celebrity that have, you know, stood the test of time, then you know that in five years, those celebrities aren't going to mean anything anymore. So when, when I watched the ride through of that, show it's like really these people were like top-notch celebrities of their day because they're half of them are forgotten already or not important in the realm of celebrity anymore so it's man it's just a weird like 
untenable way to create an attraction. Well, again, not to come to Disney's defense on this one, but because of the sudden change right. in theme, they just went with the ones that were available to them on ABC and they wouldn't have to pay royalties to right. because they were already giving them a paycheck. Yeah. yeah. Because all the celebrities that ended up in Superstar Limo were on ABC shows at the right. time. You know, so yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I get exactly what you're saying. But in the original concept, you were supposed to be the star. Yeah. You know, that, that doesn't make it any better. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, again, I, I, I do want to make that clear because I think overall Imagineering gets a bad rap for that attraction. But they were in a bind. You know, they did what they could in the time frame that they had. So I just want to put that out there and I want to be clear about that. That makes sense. It totally does. So the next area was called the Golden State. One of the most interesting things about the Golden State area was that it had a really large footprint compared to the other lands. It was the one that had the Golden Dreams show. It was the the building where uh, Ariel's Undersea Adventure currently Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. But it's super cool because it was modeled after the Palace of Fine Arts in San Francisco, which, by the way, I had a chance to see for the very first time last June when we went up to San Francisco. Loved it. It was super cool to see it in person. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, But, yeah, I mean, in, in the Golden State area, when you... Think about how many actual attractions there were. Uh, There was Golden Dreams. You could possibly consider the Alwani Camp Circle uh, an attraction because it was like an open-air stage where you would see performances. Uh, I don't consider the winery really an attraction, uh, but I think some people think sitting there drinking is an attraction all on its own. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Right? Activity. Grizzly River Run. (laughs) Yeah, Grizzly River Run, totally an attraction. It's tough to be a bug. Some people don't know it was an opening day attraction because people know that Bugs Land came along much later. But It's Tough to Be a Bug was actually an opening day attraction for California Adventure. Hmm. Um, The Redwood Creek Challenge, uh, the trail, I think, was also... Uh, like the one of the small kid areas that they had. They had the Boudin Bakery, the Mission Tortilla Factory, where you would go in, watch a couple videos, and they gave you some tortillas at the end. I don't consider that an attraction, even though you saw a video because you came out with food. Right. You know, it, it's it's still an eatery to me. But they considered it kind of like an exhibit of how mm. you make tortillas and where they came from and stuff. Super weird exhibit, but that's not where it ended. There's other super weird exhibits. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. And then you had Soarin' Over California, which was part of the Golden State area. So it just had this massive footprint where right now it's where the trail is and where Cars Land currents, currently that's, sits that's... and where the former area of of Bugs Land currently being developed by Stark Industries, uh, a, a small portion uh, of the backlot area. I mean, it was crazy. Yeah, that it, that it was, was at one point that became five different lands. Now it's yeah. four different lands because Grizzly yeah, Peak it's, consumed Condor Flats. But holy cow, that is massive. Yeah, I didn't realize that. It was. And it was super horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, check this out. 
from from the stuff that I just mentioned that they considered attractions, okay? Again, the Mission Tortilla Factory, Boudin Bakery, I don't consider those attractions. I would put that in the restaurants. But aside from that, they had 11 restaurants and refreshment uh, counter service uh, locations. And the crazy thing about it, that because the area was so large, a portion of what's kind of Paradise Pier was also considered part of the Golden State area. Yeah. Unbelievable. You know, so it's, I'm telling you, it was just insane how much there was there. But anyway, uh, the other part that uh, was their opening day was Paradise Pier. And, of course, Paradise Pier, you know, we've talked about this in the past where Walt, you know, was all about having an area that was great for families that you can take them and they would enjoy themselves throughout the day. But he didn't like the whole carnival aspect of it. He didn't like people getting hustled. He like he just didn't like that whole boardwalk carnival you know, aspect of everything. That's exactly right? what we ended up getting out of Paradise Pier. Yeah, I've, always, I've always had a, a bit of a problem with that correlation, though, because, you know, what Walt really found distasteful was the state of those places. You know, he didn't like that they were dirty, that they were filled with trash, that, you know, and, and the whole uh, scam aspect of the games and stuff like that. What they created right. here was Disney clean, Disney beauty, you know, a, a different version of that kind of experience. And even when they redressed it, it was, you know, it became even prettier. So I, to me, it's like, it wasn't necessarily that he didn't like those types of attractions and that type of area. He just didn't like that they were typically run in such a way that it was distasteful to him. You're right. They did build out that area with, attractions or games that basically hustle you the same way so i get that what's <laughs> weird mean, is that no that reason whole area felt weird it didn't feel like you were on disney property at all no i i remember no. having to walk by and whatnot and it just didn't have that feeling yeah i i've seen footage of the original paradise pier and it it does look strange there were attractions there i.e the Maliboomer that were decidedly non-Disney attractions with zero mm -hmm. story and theming. Right. So that's that's where it loses its Disney touch. And I'm glad that they redirected and got it right for a while. I'll yeah. leave that statement right there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you had dinosaurs right in the middle of your walking area selling sunglasses... Right? What? You know? Yes. Yeah, dude. Yes. One of the stores. So here's the thing. Uh, you know how now as you're walking uh, along Paradise Park towards uh, the the Pixar area in the back where they do where they used to do like Pixar pals and everything where they currently do the Coco show and, and, and that stuff. It's Mulan right now. But yeah. uh, right in front of the Zephyr, basically, uh -huh. and the Jumpin' Jellyfish. So. Uh, along that route, there was this huge store called Dinosaur Jack's Sunglass Shack. And it was this huge pink dinosaur wearing sunglasses. And the inside was carved out so that you can walk inside and buy sunglasses. And it was supposed to simulate those roadside uh, yeah, attractions yeah. that you would 
generally see on Route 66. Route 66 isn't something new for DCA. You think Carsland has huh. like, ah, cool, Route 66. No, they did it before. They just did it poorly. <laughs> so wow. that's what it was supposed to simulate, all these roadside attractions. And all the shops were like that too because when McDonald's used to sponsor a store or like a restaurant yeah. inside of DCA – they had, uh, I think it was called Burger Invasion. Yes. But everything inside of Burger Invasion was McDonald's food. So it was this huge hamburger that was like a spaceship. Yeah. Like as the, the marquee. And you would just walk up and order your Big Mac. Uh-huh. Mm. And I mean, there was so, it was just, it was so hokey. Huh. <laughs> wow. The whole thing was just so hokey, dude. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of the other stuff that's there, uh, I think the rethemings, you know, have helped. But, uh, you know, you had the Maliboomer, which was one of those, like, thrill rides that shoots you up in the air and then drops you very much like the one down the street at Knott's Berry Farm. Right. Hated it. You know, it's identical. Or, like you see at every church carnival in the area, um, a bigger version of the Jumpin' Jellyfish, so mm-hmm. to speak. That was there. It was. and Madness. You know, that was another, uh, I, th- I think it's called the, a crazy mouse type coaster. Wild mouse. I think it's, a, it's a wild mouse. Wild yeah. mouse coaster, yeah. Uh, it was another out of the box. You know, they, they went to the Costco rack yeah. of, of roller those, coasters and just took that down. Those have existed at amusement parks for 100 years. Yeah. I mean, that came from that. The, the swings, which were also, in the orange stinger. Also very common, yeah. Uh, was weird, too, because you were supposed to be sitting inside of a bee or, like, riding a bee on the seats. And then, like, a month later, they just changed them to conventional swing seats. Super weird. But I did love the fact that they would pump through that citrus smell. Oh, nice. Because, I mean, I love orange-flavored stuff and orange-smelling stuff. So the fact that they would pump that through as you were riding is cool. super cool for me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, way too many restaurants. Uh, the Avalon Cove was a Wolfgang Puck restaurant, mm. which I think after the first year, they were just like, peace out. The The attendance just isn't here. It's not worth it for us to stay here. But that was possibly the swankiest place to be there. You know, to have a big name like Wolfgang Puck sure. be inside of your, of your park was big for them, especially since they had just opened. But they just... They just couldn't maintain it. Uh, one of my favorite places to say was Pizza Umamao. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the surfboard-shaped pizzas. Interesting. That you could get there. That was super cool. Oh, and the the ever so wonderful Malaburritos. Wow. You know, one thing that DCA did not lack in its 1.0 incarnation was puns. Oh my gosh. It <laughs> they were like it. everywhere. One of the stores, I think, in that area was called Manhattan Beach. <laughs> yes. Yes. And it had like a hat with a dude in a hat on a beach. Um, oh my God. Uh, what was the other ones? Like all the oh, billboards. Uh, oh. Sam Andreas Shakes. Oh yes. my gosh. Was also a place. Um I need to bust out my map books. So I could check this out. I know. <laughs> I know. I you know, I'm gonna try to find a map and I'm gonna put it in the blog post for the episode because Yeah, I mean there was wow. uh, yeah. 
So anyway, they like their puns. Yeah. So that was another thing that was super not great about it. <laughs> so learning opportunity. Just going to throw that out there. So anyway, I, I think I'm getting into complaining mode, and I don't want to do that. So in in trying to wrap up this whole thing about DCA, uh, overall, Disney uh, DCA was kind of going in the same direction as Euro Disney was. And they knew that they had to do something because they didn't have they didn't want to lose money on a second park so close to losing money on Euro mm-hmm. Disney, and so it was time for DCA 1.1. And in October of 2002, a Bugs Land finally opened, and that helped a lot because it finally brought a themed area where kids could actually enjoy being inside of DCA while their parents had an alcoholic beverage. And that was huge, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it fit really well considering that a Bugsland Theater was an opening day attraction like we mentioned earlier. So it just was very cohesive. Uh, two years later, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror opened. And it was a welcome change because um, the Malaboomer, you know, just... <sighs> I'm just going to move on from Is there. that yeah. when it went away? They took the Malaboomer down when the tower went up? Yeah. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. Well, when the tower started to go up is when they took the Malaboomer and the Orange Stinger out. Got it. In 2005, Turtle Talk with Crush was plussed with an updated version, which was which opened, I think, right before Disneyland's 50th anniversary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then plans were also underway to replace the vacant building where Superstar Limo was uh, with an attraction called Monsters, Inc., Mike and Sully to the Rescue, which opened in 2006. But in 2005, something very important happened. Investors and board members, including Roy E. Disney, had started a campaign to save Disney. That's literally what it was called, Save Disney, because they felt that Michael Eisner just wasn't cutting it anymore. So as part of that effort, Disney began to search for the next CEO to replace Eisner. And on March 13th, 2005, Disney announced that Bob Iger would succeed Michael Eisner as CEO. And even though Michael Eisner held the title of CEO until he resigned in September of 2005, it was Bob Iger that was already hard at work when he was put in charge of all the day-to-day operations when the announcement was made back in March. Nice. Wow. So that was a critical, critical <clears throat> change that really began kind of the snowball effect for DCA. Mm-hmm. Because on October 17, 2007, the Disney company announced a multi-year $1.1 billion expansion plan for Disney's California Adventure. The plan included modifications to Paradise Pier, the Golden State, and the Hollywood Pictures backlot for new areas called Buena Vista Street and Cars Yes. And for those of I you paying attention, that. that is almost twice as much money as they spent just to build the park when they opened it. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. Which was one third of what they anticipated to pay for Westcott. Right. Exactly. So, so that's it. That's your that's your DCA 1.0 uh, history for this episode. You know, the thing that stands out the most to me, and this this has been so fascinating for me because, like I said, it, it the first decade uh, of the park is really a mystery to me. It's a very 
black hole in my Disney history. Like I just don't know much about early DCA. So this has been great. But the one thing that stands out is a topic that has been on our minds and on our podcast a lot in recent weeks is the idea of IPs and IP-based attractions. And that original park had so little of that. Like in mm-hmm. of the original attractions is it's tough to be a bug. The only thing that had an IP, a Disney IP on it, like really that to me is the biggest indicator that there's something to that idea. You know, even when Disneyland opened, yes, it had great attractions that were not IP based that were just, you know, born out of the fantasies of Walt and his Imagineers. But the core of the park was still the Disney properties, right? The right. the characters and, and movies and stories that made the company what it is. And to try and build an entire park with none of that, that seems like the biggest misstep of all. You know, I, I yeah. the the idea of you know having cast members design it basically was probably foolish, at least to use them so heavily as they did and you know some of their other decisions were misguided along the way like i don't think they spent enough time thinking about whether or not uh enough people would be interested in a park only about california you know and but this one just seems to be like wait where are the disney elements in this park you know that seems to be the thing that most people say is it didn't feel like disney it didn't feel like disney because disney wasn't there you know, it's so yeah. weird. Yeah. Actually, there was one other IP that I didn't mention in Hollywoodland because Muppets 3D Vision was actually an opening day attraction. Really? Sure. I forgot to mention that while I was talking about Hollywoodland, but yeah, it was their yeah. opening day. Wow. I remember going to DCA in 2003. That's when I started going to the parks by myself. And man, I just, I just remember Ghost Town. Yeah. Like no yeah. one would be there. Um, I remember, I think it was October. I would always go in October because of Halloween Mm -hmm. and nobody was there. Like they had villains at Golden Dreams, which was called Golden Screams at the time, but (laughs) they just put a banner outside of the attraction and they had villains. Nowadays, you know, you see villains on Main Street. There's a line that's a mile long Mm -hmm. over there. I mean, there was... No one. You just walked up. And you spent like easily five, ten minutes with whoever was there. I mean, that's how low attendance was. Just there wasn't much at all. I mean, it was great whenever you also had to find a bathroom. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) True. That's (laughs) Always available. You you had a, yeah, you had a, a, an abundance of choices. I'd be I'd be interested to see how they were marketing park hoppers and and to see how many people actually got park hoppers back then. You know, cuz now, you know, it's become a must. Like you can't oh, yeah. just not include DCA, right? I mean, they've they've done such a good job and we'll talk about that next week when we talk about 2.0, but you know, it's become so essential and uh, I think it's it would be fascinating to to have that time machine to go back to year one and really witness the reality of what it was. Uh, I just think it would be crazy. You know, back to your point about the Muppets. I, 
I've thought about this a lot because I adore the Muppets and I lament the fact that there is no longer a Muppets attraction here and they seem to be dying in the attraction in the uh, parks around the world as well. I unfortunately don't think the Muppets, or at least they haven't figured out a way that they're, they're not a good vehicle for an attraction in the parks. I just don't think they work for enough people for them to be popular in any sort of way. So I don't think that that helped that park either, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, oh, there was also the Little Mermaid was also represented opening day because King Triton's Carousel was an opening day attraction. Yeah, that's yeah. But I get what you're saying. But I, I was thinking back right now on what properties were actually there running through the park now really the only three were those it was it's tough to mm-hmm. be a bug and then we had muppets 3d vision and king triton's carousel yeah. ah. I, it's so weird and to McDonald's. me like why yeah. why have a merry-go-round in both parks mm-hmm. uh because <laughs> you know it, it fits that carnival aspect yeah, i guess that makes that, that makes sense you know what can i throw a question out i'm yeah. curious how many of our listeners ever got a pack of tortillas on their birthday? Ooh, is that a thing that they I would do? I always got the single ones. Yeah, yeah. if you Where... went with the birthday button, they Ooh. would give you a whole pack at the end of the tour. Nice. <laughs> Where was yeah. the tortilla factory? Where Ghirardelli's is. Oh, Ghirardelli's wasn't there at the beginning? No. Interesting. No. I assumed that was always there. Mm-mm. Wow, that was an upgrade. I mean, I like tortillas as much as the next person, but Ghirardelli chocolate, it's on a different level. (laughs) Plus, whenever you go, they give you those little samples, which which is great. So, yay. (laughs) All right. Well, I mean, if you guys have any questions or comments about DCA 1.0, you know, join the conversation. Leave a comment on the blog post for the episode, podcasters.com slash 243. Or... Join us over on social media. You can find us by searching for Podcateers on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. That's P-O-D-K-E-T-E-R-S. Nice. (laughs) I need a triangle to ding at the very end. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just add a a, a little sound thingy at the end. (laughs) Uh, hope you guys enjoyed this look into DCA 1.0 and 1.1. Next week, Gavin will be taking us down memory lane and into the current and hopefully the future of DCA as we talk about DCA 2.0. So anything else that you guys want to add before we wrap up this episode? No, just no, I don't have anything on my mind. Sorry. All right. <laughs> I have tacos on the brain. I feel like all the I've gone talk. too long. Yeah. Yeah, I've Sorry. gone too long between eating. So, <laughs> tacos. All right, dude. Tacos. Let's wrap it up so we Maybe can get churros. some tacos. Tacos. All right. So, that is going to wrap it up. So, until next week, keep dreaming. Keep moving forward and always remember to pass on the magic. See you next week, everyone. See ya. Major luck.